Amen. Well, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. For the next three weeks, heading into our presidential election, I'm going to speak on the topic of politics. Don't turn the station, don't change the channel. Because the Bible is a political book. When we read about kings and kingdoms and espionage and treaties and treason, all of these things are found in the scriptures because the scriptures address all of life. Politics run from cover to cover. The problem has been when preachers step in God's pulpit to endorse people um, and they don't trust that the spirit of God can move on the hearts of people concerning how they should vote. One thing that will never happen here and has not happened here at Strong Tower is based on our constitution but above all on conviction and that is that we will not promote any one politician over another, any one party over another. That's not what we do. We lift up and preach Jesus and we trust that God's people will fill in the blank and be led. Again, it's a Romans 14 kind of a situation where some have faith to do this, some have faith to do that, but we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I have the privilege of pastoring a multiracial, multicultural, multi-economic, multi-denominational, multi-generational, and also multi-political church. Amen. So I've had people get mad over the years because although we don't endorse certain candidates, they assume based on how I look that I am endorsing a particular candidate. Or they get upset because I'm not ringing a particular bell loud enough that they are used to coming out of their persuasion. And so they get frustrated when they come here and I don't beat certain drums that they're used to, okay? So, so I hope that you will hang with us <clears throat> during these three weeks because I'm really not focusing on what's happening in the White House. I'm really concerned about what's happening in God's church house. I'm really concerned about where we are. Um, and as we'll see today, it really doesn't matter who is sitting in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, that's, that's not going to change God's redemptive plan for all of us. And so I want us to not fall prey to all of the fear, the, the hate mongering, the division, and all that stuff that we see played out on Fox and CNN and MSNBC on our jobs. And it's going to get more heightened as we get closer to that Tuesday in November. So I want to make sure that we have a standard, that we have the word of God that keeps us walking uh, with, with grace and truth and balances us out. So last week, we preached about God's authority as we finished up the episode with Jairus and his daughter who had died and how when Jesus walked into the house, he took authority. He took authority because he has all authority. We said that the word was ekousia, which means that God has unlimited, unmatched, unparalleled authority. He has the right to be God and he even at times gives us rights as his sons and daughters of God whereby we can walk in his authority but never in his glory. His glory is reserved only for him but he does give us authority. We heard that authority, we were reminded of it when Randall prayed 
and as the Van Flatterens go and as we go into the world. Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. My disciples now go and make disciples of all nations in the world. And so therefore we walk in the authority of God. We have legal right as his sons and daughters to pray certain prayers, to speak the word of God and to live a life that pleases him. So today we're going to begin uh, this three weeks talking about God's sovereignty. Next week, we'll talk about God's providence. Today, let's talk about God's sovereignty, and let's entitle this message, The Sovereignty of God in Politics. The Sovereignty of God in Politics. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear what you're saying to the church, and Lord, for that to happen, we have to have our ears unclogged with the things of the world that we keep hearing constantly, the, message that we, the messages that we are bombarded with constantly. And Lord, we want to make sure that as we're hearing from every journalist and, and every publication and every news show, that we make sure, above all, that we hear from you. And so, God, um, I pray that as you speak, you will fill in the blanks for your people that I don't need to insult them by trying to think for them. I don't need to insult them by telling them what they should do with their freedom of expression as United States citizens. I just pray, Lord, that when you speak this word to us, that we will find confidence in your power, we will find confidence in your person, and we know that you are in control of all things, period. So, Lord, this is not the end of the world as far as we know, because, Lord, we know you're coming back. And so, Lord, I just pray that we'll be ready, whether you're coming back tomorrow or you're coming back in 200 years, that you will find a church without spot or wrinkle, that we are ready, that we are occupying until you come. Show us what that looks like. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 13. I want you to go back with me to A.D. 57, when Paul wrote this letter to the believers, Jews and Gentile, who were present in Rome. Go back with me when he wrote what many consider to be the constitution of the church. If you want to understand theology, if you want to understand matters of justification and sanctification and glorification, if you want to understand God's calling with Israel as well as the church, Romans chapter, well, all of Romans is the book that God has given us that gives us, as we would say, the constitution of what it means to be Christians who are born from above but living in a world that is not our home. Romans talks to us about what it means to live a transformed life. Romans deals with sin, but it also deals with salvation. Romans looks at the inability of man because of his degenerative state to be made right with God, but then Romans focuses on the sinless, perfect son of God, Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life so that sinners could be made right with God. It's a doctrinal letter, but also a very personal letter as Paul ends most of his letters and he's naming names of people because he knew of the Christians who were there. And so he's writing them. Now, he has not yet visited Rome. That's going to happen a little bit later in his ministry. But in AD 57, he writes them 
And we're going to read those words in a moment in chapter 13, what he wrote to those believers who were huddled in homes and, and in caves and as they met and as they worshiped the Lord and were called to be his fragrance in the world, what was going on? Well, in AD 57, Strong Tower, Rome was the world power. Um, the powers of the world had been transferred from one kingdom to the next. When you look at the idol or the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, and the head was gold and the chest was silver and the waist was bronze and the thighs uh, were, were, were um, made out of stone. It, it speaks of the nations from Babylon to Medo-Persia to the Greeks to the Romans. And so the Romans right now, they are in control of the world. They're the dominant superpower, if you will. In AD 57, Nero Claudius Caesar was the emperor, better known as Nero. Now, to get to the throne, Nero's mother, Agrippina, killed her second husband and married Emperor Claudius, who went on to adopt her son, Nero. So she killed her husband, married the emperor, and the emperor then adopted her son, Nero, as his stepson. Now, Agrippina arranged for her son to marry his stepsister, Octavia, who was Claudius's daughter. You think your family tree is jacked up. Hold on just for a second. <laughs> so he marries his stepsister. And the mother did this so that her son could have more right to the throne of Rome. So Agrippina, she poisoned her husband Claudius, with, with mushrooms by the way, so that her 17-year-old son Nero could become emperor. In time, Nero tried to come out from under his murderous mother's shadow because quietly she was trying to treat him like a puppet by telling him what to do. And after a while, his advisor said to him, man, you need to stop letting your mother tell you how to lead. And so he tried to come out from under his mother's authority. And as a result, she turned on him. And then she promoted her stepson, Britannicus, who was Claudius's son, as the rightful heir to the throne. So she said, okay, you don't want me anymore, son. I got you to this place. I'll go and grab Britannicus. He's the rightful heir, and I'll try to put him in place. But right before Britannicus was announced as a potential heir to the throne, causing division. He died the day before the announcement in a mysterious way. And so as she turned on him, she promoted Britannicus, but Nero poisoned his stepbrother. Nero, who was married to Octavia, had affairs with a former slave named Claudia and with his friend's wife, Papaya Sabina. So he had two affairs while he's married. After a failed death plot to drown his mother, Nero had her stabbed to death in her house. Nero then exiled his wife, Octavia, and then went on to execute her a little while later. He married his mistress, Papaya, whom he later killed by kicking her in the stomach. In A.D. 64, a fire burned 
for nine days in Rome. Three of Rome's 14 districts were completely destroyed and seven were severely damaged. Rumors circulated that Nero started the fire to destroy monuments that had been made to other emperors. So he wanted to burn down the memory of other emperors, but he also wanted to clear out places throughout the province to rebuild and also to create an expanded complex that featured a 100-foot-tall bronze statue of himself. So he burned Rome. And some say he played music as Rome burned. He danced on the roof as Rome burned. But as he began to get criticized for his behavior during the decimation of Rome, he then deflected and blamed the burning of Rome on Christians. That small fledging group called the way. He blamed those folks and said that they set the fire because they acknowledged only Jesus as the king and not the emperor. So as a result, Christians were rounded up, they were arrested, and they were tortured. And some of the ways in which he tortured Christians was he would place them inside of animal skins and sew them together. In other words, the Christians would be within animal skins, and they would then loose wild dogs to then attack the animal skins and begin to eat the animal skin, and as they did it, they ate Christians who were trapped within the animal skin. But not only that, he would impale Christians, dip them in oil, and then set them on fire. And he would use them as human lanterns in his gardens when he had night parties. And so this was the man who was on the throne in Rome. Now after his wife Poppea died, he married a married woman and then her husband went on to commit suicide. Later, right before he died, he ordered a young man named Sporus to be castrated and then he married him because he said that Sporus favored his first wife's resemblance. This was the man who was on the throne in Rome. And so in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers, verse 3, are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for, excuse me, you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, 
honor to whom honor. So Nero comes to the throne around 54. Paul writes his letter understanding the times in AD 57. So if I'm sitting in one of the churches and I hear this word being read, they, 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 they working all the way through Romans and I'm amening all the way through chapter one. Oh, thank you. Chapter, oh, hallelujah. Then they come to chapter 12, be transformed. Oh, I'm with you. Then chapter 13, I hear that and I'm sitting in one of these house churches. Be subject to governing authorities. They are God's ministers. Whoa. How could Paul write what seemed to be an endorsement for Emperor Nero and the evil Roman Empire? How could he do that? Well, Paul, who was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote these words because he understood something. Listen to this strong tower. What did he understand? Paul understood the sovereignty of God as much as a human can because we're limited, we're finite. God is unlimited, God is infinite. He's inexhaustible. But what Paul was able to gain by revelation from the Spirit of God, even from the Old Testament, he understood something about God and that, and that is God is sovereign over the affairs of man. Sovereignty means that God is in control of all things, not some things, not just good things, but all things and even bad things. He rules over everything. Sovereignty means that God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and with whomever he wants. When that begins to happen, the clay has a tendency to question the potter. What are you doing? Not only why have you made me like this, but what are you doing out here? Well, the clay need to chill because the potter does whatever he wants and we know that whatever he does is right. It is true. Even if we don't understand it with our limited, flawed, sinful, degenerative thinking, his ways, higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows the end from the beginning, so just trust him while you're in the middle of the ride. Sovereignty means that God is the ultimate someone who rules over everyone. He needs no one, and he answers to no one. Paul understood something about God. We don't make him Lord. We acknowledge that he is Lord. He can do anything but fail. He, he's too wise to do wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. So I'm not going to let what I see change how I feel about the God that I'm following by faith. Even when I can't trace his hand, I'm going to trust his heart. He's in control. And I got to live like I believe he is sovereign and he is in control. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. You see, Nero may have reigned, but God is sovereign. He's in control. 
Romans 13, 1, when we go back to that, so when Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So the first thing I want you to see is that all spheres of government come from God. All spheres of government come from God. Pastor, what spheres of government are there? Well, the first sphere of government is the home, the family. God established the family when he created Adam and Eve. And he told them to be fruitful and have children and multiply. The family has governance within it. Where am I going? Well, when God created Adam and Eve, he, he saw them in his mind. Of course, he sees everything. But he manifested them in different times and in different ways. In chapter 1, he says that he created male and female in his image. So male and female are intrinsically equal in humanity before God and ultimately equal in matters of redemption. But equality of essence and equality of humanity doesn't mean the sameness of role or function. Which is why when God manifested them, he brought forth the man first in order to establish order in the home. If I was in some places, they'd be picking up, taking their shoes off and getting ready to throw them at a brother. But Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why? To establish leadership in the home. Oh, this is good. I love this. Because if we understood order, and if men understood the authority that God has given us to serve, to be servant leaders, then man, we could transform things around. But when the enemy came into the garden, he didn't come and talk to the leader as far as Adam, who God had put there first. The enemy understood authority, and what he did was he went to Eve and not to Adam. But Adam, when he saw that snake coming into the garden, should have stepped up, and Eve should have stepped back just a little bit. But the home went in chaos because the serpent was kicked out of heaven because he didn't appreciate heavenly authority. And so he tried to exalt his throne above the throne of God when he was Lucifer, the angel of the morning star. And God, who understands authority, says, I share my authority with no one. And he kicked Satan out. Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve with the very same thing he fell from, which is the uh, uh, desire to be God, the, uh, the desire to reign and to rule. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that the head of every woman is her husband. The head of every husband is Christ and the head of Christ is God. So in the Godhead, we see that all three members are co-equal, but there's an order whereby the Father sends the Son and the Son pours out the Holy Spirit. There is order within the Godhead and there is order within the home. The husband is not greater than the wife. He's just been given the assignment to be over the wife. And the Bible says it would behoove the wife, Ephesians 5.18, to submit to her own husband. Not somebody else's husband, your own husband. Now, before a brother goes off and says, yeah, man, I must be a dictator up in here, slow your roll. Ephesians 5.22 then comes and says that husbands and wives are to submit to each other out of reverence for the Lord that they both should be submitting to. So there's order in the home, order in the home. Don't, don't hear Captain Caveman when I'm talking this stuff. You know, man, hear the, 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 the one who created the family has the right to give us the blueprint for the family. 
If our family is jacked up, it may be because we're not following the blueprint that he set up. But there's supposed to be governance in the family. And parents are to be over children. Ah, man. This is supposed to be a short sermon. But I chase rabbits, especially when they got meat on them. And children are to honor their mother and father that it may go well with them and that they may live long on the face of the earth. So there's safety in submission for a husband submitting to Jesus. There's safety in submission for a wife submitting to her husband. There's safety in submission for a husband submitting to his wife. And there's safety in submission for children submitting to their parents. God set up order. That's government. But then he also set up government. After Cain had killed Abel, and, and then you have the flood going on. In Genesis 9, 6, God said, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his own blood be shed. In other words, there has to be some structure because we have started this civilization of people groups. There has to be structure. There has to be order because if there is no order, there will be anarchy. So we can't have people killing people, which is the ultimate offense and not be held accountable. And so early on, God says, people who kill people need to be held accountable for what they've done by other people. That's the beginning of government. And then there's government in the church. Oh, I don't have time to go there, but we're all brothers and sisters, but we have different roles in the church. Ephesians 4, he gave some to be apostles, pastors, prophets, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, when the Lord comes, there are questions he's going to ask of Strong Tower that the elders and I are going to have to answer so much more than the membership will have to answer. We will stand before Jesus at the Bema seat where we will have to give an account for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. All of our sins are forgiven. He's not talking to us about sin, but he's talking to us about our service. And as a pastor and as an elder, the Bible says in James 3 that we are under stricter judgment. That's why not many of you should try to be a teacher. Because God is like, let me show you, Chris, back in 1997, you, you messed this up right here. You misquoted that. You, Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And so in the church, the Bible says in Hebrews 13 that you should submit to your leaders that it may go well with you. Oh, wee. Now, that doesn't mean you become a doormat in the church any more than you become a doormat at home or a doormat with the government. No, 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 no. But, man, you got to understand how God works. And uh, what, what's that teacher, uh, uh, Beth, the, 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 the blonde hair lady? Moore. Beth Moore. I think she put it like this, that there's safety in submission. That submission, at least in the home, is the woman learning how to duck so that God can hit her husband. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the church members got to duck and let God deal with the leadership. <laughs> so all spheres of government come from God and then the government at your job. There's someone over you, not only in the Lord, not only in your home, not only in government, but also in your job. Because if you want to get paid, You've got to submit yourselves to the governing authority at your job. If you don't want to get paid, that means you're probably going to quit or get fired because you don't want to work within the system. 
And so no government exists apart from God's authorization. This doesn't mean that he approves all of the things that human rulers do. It just means that no person got into authority without God's sovereign selection. In other words, nobody just pops up into authority and God is like, oh, who was that? Okay, all right. No, no. He puts people in places of authority. So secondly, God expects for everyone to be subject to governing authorities. To be subject is a military term. It means to line up under the authority of. And so to be subject to government. Because in every society, there must be recognized authority and submission to that authority. Where there is not clear designated authority, as I mentioned, there will be chaos and anarchy. Any government is better than no government. And a righteous government is the best government of all. Romans, I mean, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says that righteousness exalts a nation. So we want our nation to be righteous. We do the right thing. We do the just thing. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, uh, we, we see something going on here. Because we're told to be subject to governing authorities. Because God placed these governors and these leaders in place. Subject yourselves unto them. Unless they ask you or command you to do something that God would never command you to do. And at that point, you have the authority from God to not obey governing authorities. Let me take you back real quick to the home. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. So if I ask my wife to do something that her greater husband and master and Lord would not ask her to do because it's not biblical, my wife then has the authority and the blessing from God to submit to God over submitting to me. And that's when, again, God will deal with the neighbors that are out here when they disrespect the Abigails. But if you don't know what God said and that man tells you to do something or that your wife tells you to do something, let's get engaged in some illegal activity so that we can pay rent this month. Go sell this, go sell your body, go do this. No, 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 no. The Lord would never ask me to do that. So if the government commands you to not preach anymore in the name of Jesus, at that point, I'm not submitting to the government. I'm submitting to the Lord. And when we do that, we've got to prepare ourselves for the necessary repercussions. So we submit unless the government orders a Christian to disobey God's word. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We've been praying for revival. Oh God, we wanna see your glory. Well, sometimes God's glory is seen best in the midst of persecution. And in America, we don't want that. We wanna come to church and be comfortable. We want to worship God without having to make a sacrifice. But when Kay and Bob go to Haiti and they meet Christians who are worshiping God in spite of pain, burying loved ones, and seeing all kind of corruption in their government, 
Roofs blown off of, if you want to call them, buildings. And they got more joy than most of us sitting here. Because Jesus said a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. A man's life consists in the one who possesses him. Jesus possesses me. And when you don't have nothing, then you realize Jesus is everything you need. But when you got a bunch of other stuff, Lord. And that's why the last are going to be first. The first are going to be last. So watch what the apostles did. Because the church always grows when it's persecuted. Just like you grow in your life when you struggle. When you're in a trial, you grow at a greater clip when you're under stress and tests and trials than you do in the land of prosperity and blessing. So God got to balance this thing out because if you stay in the land of blessing too long, you might forget who he is. So he got to bring something your way to make you get on your knees because normally we don't like to do that. It's called a test. And the blood of the martyrs has always been the seed that causes the church to grow. And before Jesus comes back, there's going to be more bloodshed of Christians. Just read Revelation. But Acts chapter 4, I can't preach a short sermon. Verse 18 through 20. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you be the judge. In other words, I don't know what y'all talking about. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They said, y'all stop preaching that Jesus stuff. No, we're going to keep on preaching that Jesus stuff, and we're willing to die for it. Because Augustine, the church father from Africa, who normally gets played like a white dude, but he's an African dude from this place called Hippo, he said an unjust law is no law at all. So we got to watch this now. Because just because... A government makes something legal. That doesn't mean that it's right. No. Subject to governing authorities, unless those governing authorities go against the word of God. Slavery was legal, but it wasn't right. Segregation was written into the constitution of this great so-called Christian nation. But it wasn't right. So, when the slaves rebelled, acting just like the colonists who rebelled against Britain, why is it that the slaves were called rebels but the colonists were called revolutionaries? Because the slave was never seen as a person. They were subhuman. But once the, and the slaves understood their identity. They, Jesus went to Africa long before the slave ships got there. The gospel got to Africa long before the Europeans got there and used Christianity to make the slaves docile. No, 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 no. So they resisted slavery. But not only that, once... We came through emancipation and the 13th Amendment ratified slavery, making black people or descendants of slaves American citizens. Then came Jim Crow persecution, which was written in not only federal law, but local law. 
And there were blacks who stood up against it because an unjust law is no law at all. And they were told to stay in their place. They were called all kinds of names and they were persecuted. But there was a conviction in their soul that they were doing the right thing. And they disobeyed when the lunch counters were segregated. They went and integrated them until they got ripped off of those seats. And so there is a time to disobey government law long as you're ready to suffer the consequences for it. There is no law whatsoever against kneeling during the singing of the national anthem. Oh, man, what time is it? <laughs> Ain't no law, it's a tradition. And there's a reason why we don't sing all the stanzas of the national anthem. But Colin Kaepernick is convicted as a human being about the police brutality that he sees that is prevalent in America, especially towards people of color. So he uses his freedom that the Constitution grants him the right to protest for laws. He kneels peacefully and quietly. And the world is fighting and they're upset and he's putting down our troops. No, he didn't put down our troops. He understands what our troops did to allow us to be free. But if we really went back on the pages of history, many of our troops who fought in World War I and World War II, black folks and Native Americans, when they came back home, they didn't get treated with freedom opportunities. But he's kneeling. Everybody hates him. They make shirts with him on there. And he's public enemy number one in a, a, a scope of a rifle has his face in it. And, and people are saying he's being disrespectful. But when the president comes on the big screen and he talks about 9-11, these same people who put down Colin Kaepernick boo the president of the United States. We mixed up and messed up. And a lot of them are Christians. But then when a kicker for the giants who breaks the law by beating his wife repeatedly, gets a $4 million raise and is about to board a plane to go to London to play. And Ray Rice is like, wait a minute, something wrong with this. <laughs> oh, yeah, injustice is here. Who's going to stand up? Who's going to speak up? Who's going to call out the discrepancies? Who's going to call it out? It should be the people of light. Thirdly, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Oh, Doreen, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. I know y'all got to get in the car and go. For exaltation, Psalm 75, comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Daniel 4.25, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. This means God appointed Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah 25, 9, God says, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. God appointed Pharaoh. Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 21, and he had the right to harden Pharaoh's heart because he's God and he appointed him. God appointed Pilate. And that's why Jesus said in John 19, 11, you would have no authority if it were not given to you from above. The God who's sovereign appointed Nero. Now watch this, strong tower. Paul benefited under the reign of Nero, as evil as he was. What do you mean, pastor? Well, later when Paul would be persecuted by the Jews and they were trying to kill him, and it was a setup, 
And the Romans had to step in and rescue Paul from the Jews. And the Jews were setting ambushes. They were going to kill this man. Paul was like, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. You know, where the temple of God and the people of God. No, they're trying to kill me back in Jerusalem. I ain't going back there. I appeal to Caesar. And so at that point, the governor said, well, you've appealed to Caesar because Paul was a Roman citizen. They said, to Caesar you will go. And so Paul would get to Rome because Jesus told him he was going to get to Rome, but he used political savvy under Nero to appeal for his life to get to Rome so that he could preach the gospel ultimately to the emperor. He benefited under a broken, fallen, jacked up government. But he also got beheaded under a jacked up government from Nero. They killed him. So there are benefits and setbacks to every government. It's the truth, Ruth. Been that way since time began. And so God appointed all these fallen people, and he appointed every fallen president of the United States of America. Every slaveholder he appointed. Every rapist he appointed. Every man who dipped and dabbed in the Masonic Lodge, he appointed them. He appointed Ford, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, and Obama. And we are supposed to pray for those who are in authority. We're supposed to honor the king. And if he appoints Trump or Clinton or one of the other independents, some of y'all have written in Mickey Mouse. I don't know if he's going to make it, but we are to honor the king. That means we don't have an opinion. That means that we can't be critical, but we are to be respectful because of the office, even if you don't care for the person. But boy, has the church been the tail on this and not the head. And folks are tired of this double standard because Americans, listen, we vote, but God elects. Remember this now, we vote and we should, but God elects. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot was just holy dice. They roll the dice to try to understand the will of God. And when you go to those levers, back in the day you used to, you know, pull the lever. When you pull the lever and the lemons are spinning, God is like, I know who going to get it. I, I know who got it. I'm going to put them in place. So we vote, but God elects. So the election is fixed. It's fixed. If you believe God is sovereign, it's fixed. God will not find out who the president of the United States will be on Tuesday night, November the 8th, when you find out. He already knows because he's already appointed who's going to be the next president of the United States of America. So therefore, we just need to vote and chill and trust God for the results, even if they are results that I don't like. So if the person you voted for on Tuesday doesn't win. Your world should not fall apart on Wednesday because they lost. I'm gonna say it one more time, that's good stuff. 
Don't let your world fall apart on Tuesday if the person you voted for didn't win. Because if, if the person, I messed it up, let me go back. If the person you vote for doesn't win on Tuesday, your world shouldn't fall apart on Wednesday. You know why? My hope is built on nothing less. This is why, boy, if I could sing every week, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Jewel, come on up here. In righteousness, I dare not trust Trump or Clinton, but I'm wholly leaning on Jesus' name, on Christ. Y'all help me out. The solid rock, all other ground. Oh, man, don't you trust in this political system? Trust in God. Hey, man, that's it, that's it, that's it. All right, all right, that's it. Leave out of here looking at the king, man. Oh, boy. Woo. Well, please stand to your feet at this time if every heart is clear. We're about to go tear up West Harpeth Primitive Baptist Church. They done invited some folk from the city to come out to the country. And we about to tear that church up. Man, our worship team and band sound so good. We not only got the organ, we got a B3. Because you know in a black church, they're going to have a B3. There's going to be some sounds today. So, man, I hope y'all can come with us 2 o'clock today. Get something small to eat. Because they're going to feed us afterwards, all right? They're they laying the spread out. Uh, uh, if you don't know where the church is, if you go to Franklin and you go down Columbia where the target is, if you keep on going up Columbia, the church is on the right-hand side. West Harpeth Primitive Baptist Church, founded in 1869. So we got to go celebrate with these people of God. Only had six pastors. And the one serving now, been serving for 33 years. Oh, shall I bust you? Oh, my God, is real. We're going to go and celebrate with our friends in the body, our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So join us, man. Join us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord. When we walk into the office and they're talking and people are taking sides and fighting and they're pulling up videos and to support one and put down the other, would help us to be tranquil and at peace because we know who's in control. Our lives are not based on this election. Our lives are based on what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. And because of that, we are accepted in the beloved. We are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Let us act like and talk like and walk like the sons and daughters of God that we are. We can speak the truth without being ignorant or putting down people. Help us to hold on to our conviction. Thank you that in this church we have Democrats, Republicans, Independents, but above all, we have Jesus. And we're going to show the world that we can agree to disagree in ways that are agreeable because we know who's in control. Now, Lord, bless us as we go. We want to have a great time. And for those in our body who can't go, I pray that they will pray for us this afternoon that we would be a blessing first to you as well as to our friends at West Harpeth Primitive Baptist Church. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is working in us. To you, Lord, be all the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said.
Amen, 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 amen. I ain't gonna be able to stick around and talk to you long. I gotta go. But come meet us at two.